Hey! <laughs> Look at that. Wait a few minutes to start the class because, you know, we were always waiting for Amo. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I had, I had to make sure my hair was right. Okay, well, if you're trying to, 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 to compete with me, Alex, you just need to quit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Sad but true. <laughs> I can't cut this stuff out. This is golden. <laughs> Gold, baby. This is, this is show business. That's it. That's it. Uh, let's get right into it, right? Yes. What's, what's today? The 29th. Good morning. It is January 29th, 2021, and this is the Alex Montoya Show. I'm your host, Court Peters, and today, right here in our studio, which is not really a studio, <laughs> we, have, we have a very, very special guest, and it is the Alex Montoya. Hey! <laughs> All right. Today, by one of his... Uh, I'll say mentors. How about that? Absolutely. Uh, lifelong mentor. Uh, he was, uh, he's done a ton of things, but back in the day, he was a professor at USF, which is where Alex Montoya got his master's in sports management. Am I right about that? Correct. Okay. We are joined today by the president and CEO of Crimson Media and Public Relations, and that is Mr. Steve Webster. Hello, everybody. How's it going? Yay! Yay! Steve is certainly a legend in uh, in uh, Alex Montoya's experience, uh, but he's also uh, kind of uh, renowned. I think the uh, the uh, the tagline of University of Alabama is "Where legends are made," oh. and uh, Steve Webster yep. is the reason that they adopted that tagline. He's a legend. Uh, well, thank you. I I hope I'm not old enough to be a legend yet, but except. <laughs> The, uh, the 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 compliment so thank you the alex montoya foundation can be found at alexmontoya.org uh you can uh, make a donation there you can find out what we're up to in terms of uh immigration rights uh, but especially for about uh, disability awareness and uh i think today we're going to be talking a little bit about the the mamba mentality but um steve why don't you give us a little bit of a background on um on where you got started. I think you started uh, in the NBA when it comes to sports. Is that right? Yeah, I I did. Uh, My first job out of college was uh, uh, very young and uh, funny enough, back then, shy. Can you imagine, Alex, can you imagine me being shy? Uh, But um, young, shy, impressionable, scared of my own shadow, kid from Alabama that uh, got a job with the Charlotte Hornets, the original Charlotte Hornets, the the purple and teal uh, Hugo the Hornet Charlotte Hornets from uh, the late 80s and early 90s. Um, and I got a job in PR and promotions. And, uh, and uh, you know, that was my first foray into sports. I wanted to be a sportscaster. I wanted to be a TV broadcaster or, or sports radio. And, and I fell into PR and... 30 years later, here I still stand in PR. So uh, clearly that was the path that was chosen for me. Um, But uh, it was a great, great first job to have. I got thrown into the fire with the brand new NBA franchise. Our players back then um, were Kelly Trapuca, Del Curry, Muggsy Bogues, um, uh, Rex Chapman. So we had a great group of young players that were exciting to, to work with. We were w- the worst team ever. I think we were 19 and 63 was our record that year that I worked for the, for the team. 19 and 63. Ooh, that's a year, not a record. <laughs> and, um, you know, but it was fun and it was fun to be able to, to do that, uh, working with the basketball team. And as I mentioned, it also uh, opened up the door for me as the assistant in that department to be the director of PR for, uh, the affiliated world team tennis that played their matches also at the Charlotte Coliseum. Charlotte Coliseum is no longer, it's been torn down. Um, and they built a brand new uh, uh, team for the, for the Bobcats, which are now the Hornets again. Um, so uh, 
but uh you know and that that was even awesome to 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 be a young kid 22 years old whatever it was 22 23 to be the director of PR for a team even though it was a tennis team it wasn't uh it was still a professional team in my eyes um and you know working with professional tennis players that were on the team and uh you know that was a lot of fun charlotte back then was a great town to live in and uh, i loved it wasn't looking to leave um but you know, there was something else in my future that I never uh, would imagine would have happened. And I got a call from a buddy of mine named John Black, who uh, worked for the Lakers for over 30 years. And he also was the head of PR for the L.A. Strings tennis team. And he told me about a sports marketing job that was at a company affiliated with them in the Great Western Forum and and uh, put my name in. And I moved there to Los Angeles in 1991. So 30 years later... <laughs> 30 years later i'm still alive i'm still i haven't got covid i'm i uh still running a you know a sports and entertainment marketing pr company so uh it's been it's been a fun fun journey that's awesome we're gonna try to fill in those last 30 years but uh in general i think uh, if i could sum up what you what you said you're uh you became affiliated with an a-level basketball team and back then the charlotte hornets were a b team Oh, a C team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the C team is probably a good way to put it. I was kind of making a pun because it's the Hornets, which. which... Oh, see what I see what you did there, uh, Ford. Wow, that must be that that they must teach that wit at Notre yeah. Dame. I, I see where that. It's all we have. That's <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh, terrible, terrible. Uh, that is something that Alex and I have in common. We are graduates of the University of Notre Dame. Uh, and uh, we are, uh, people are listening who are, are wondering, isn't there some animosity between Alabama and Notre Dame? And uh, so to be able to welcome a, uh, an alum of the University of Alabama, and we say triumphantly, no, uh, <laughs> there's no animosity. We've got uh, um, some different programs, but some mutual respect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Alex, why don't you uh, tie us all together here? How, uh, how, how is it that you came to develop respect for Steve Webster? <laughs> respect and love. Well, in uh, 2006, I enrolled in University of, Sport, uh, University of San Francisco Sport Management Master's Program. My final semester, I took a um, uh, sports in media and PR course. Uh, Steve was my instructor. And uh, as you mentioned, he ended up being not only my, my favorite instructor, which you can tell is, is an honest uh, assertion now because I don't have a grade hanging on this. There's nothing to gain by me saying that. It's an honest statement. Uh, became a friend, became a mentor. Uh, and I always tease him because I say that he has the most perfect hair that I've ever met. Now, obviously, our, our listeners can't see it, so I'm going to describe it. Uh, I describe it as perfectly must. Uh, it's, like, it's, like, it's like waking up with bedhead that isn't really bedhead. It's, it's just like perfectly manicured in such a way that it's like, dude, don't put a brush to that thing. Like, leave it as is. It is just perfect. So I always extol him for uh, having the best hair. But no, he is absolutely a, a great teacher, a great... Uh, Sports pro, and for me, a mentor and a friend. Oh, that's awesome! Now, uh, I don't have any words to, to respond to that. I'm I'm too flattered. So, <laughs> you uh, well, let's not make a shout out to a hair care product just yet. Nice. Uh, <laughs> we gotta get sponsored first. We're gonna yeah, we're gonna wait for the sponsorships to roll in. Exactly, yep. uh, Steve. The, the as, as we're we're about to throw in the um, you know fill in the gaps on the thirty years, but. Uh, Tell me about uh, the Charlotte Hornet. Uh, what was the mascot's name again? Oh, my goodness. You're going to bring back some uh, nightmares of mine. <laughs> so uh, my jobs as the assistant in PR and promotions was to um, manage uh, Hugo the Hornet's appearances, public appearances. Hugo. So, Hugo. <laughs> Hornet, a very colorful uh, little man, just to be honest with you, he's a very little man because you know the Hornet was not very big, and uh, and it was purple and teal leotards with wing and fur, um, and 
uh, I had to not only go with him to these um, appearances, I had to help him get in, out, in and out of his classroom. And um, Charlotte is a hot city. So <laughs> there was many times when we would have to help him get in his costume or out of his costume that I would feel a little lightheaded from the smell. Uh, it, it reeks, to be quite Oof. honest with you. Um, and, uh, you know, but it was, look, at that point, I was 22 years old. I was thrilled, A, to have a job, and B, to have a job with a sports oh, team. Yeah. I mean, I thought that I had hit the jackpot and hit the lottery because a lot of my friends from college, you know, were had gone back home or working at their family's business or working at a local drugstore or restaurant or doing whatever they needed to do until they could find what they were trying to get into. And I look, I was super blessed and super lucky to be able to, to get that and move to a new city that at that time too, you have to understand, I grew up in Mobile, Alabama, a very small town to live in Charlotte. It might as well have been New York. I, <laughs> I thought that I had literally, Wow, I'm living in a big time city now, and 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 you look back, and Charlotte was like, like best at best mid size. Now it's a big city, um, but back then it wasn't. But in my eyes, it was. Um, and so, uh, you know, I was thrilled to be there, loved it, and then never in a million years dreamed about leaving, going anywhere, especially California. Um, California worlds away. But when I got that call to to um, to come out for an interview with the company. Uh, you know, I thought, hey, I'll just go for the free trip. You know, I don't really care about the job, <laughs> but they're going to fly me out to California. I'll take the flight and the hotel and I'll just get to see L.A. That's right. Um, That's awesome. I just want to uh, yeah. throw in there, too, that, you know, one of, in our last episode, we were talking about the dignity of work and how it uh, belongs to uh, every human person has the uh, has that right to do that. And to recognize that when you're going to work, you are blessed and lucky. And those are the those are literally the words that you used. Uh, you were jokingly describing it as a nightmare changing this uh, very hot and steamy and sweaty uh, five foot four man <laughs> in and out of a bee costume. Uh, but uh, but you actually ended up using the words blessed and lucky to describe that kind of work. And uh, I think that's a great, great perspective. It's something that we talk about all the time. There's jobs now. I mean, fast forward 30 years. There's jobs now. For example, I'll just let me just throw this kind of compare something where I started to something where I am recently. There's a job now where, you know, we represent Coach Bruce Arians, who's the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're about to play in the Super Bowl. And we've run his foundation for the last eight years. We run all his events, all fundraising events, you know, golf tournaments, um, um, you know, where we take over steak or rest, uh, steak restaurants and have all the players come and, and um, you know, everything under the sun. We've done these events for him. I, I, I am the president of the company, but I still haven't lost what's to me as important and what everyone should have is a strong work ethic. And if you are presented a task, well, like back 30 years ago, I was presented the task to help this little man get in and out of his costume. <laughs> Um, and then 30 years later, I'm pressed with overseeing a, a celebrity golf tournament for an NFL coach. And if, a, if, a, if one of the holes needs ice, I'm not, I'm not now 30 years later sitting up on a throne with my scepter saying, you, pauper, go and take the ice to hole 18. Right. No, I grab the ice, I put it on the golf cart, and I take it to the hole. Because it's about getting the job done. It, and you can't. You can't back then I couldn't be I wasn't too good for it. And now I'm not too good for it. And that's the that's the key where unfortunately, and I'm not trying to get all philosophical. I feel like we've lost a lot of that in, in the society. But oh, you're totally I'm right. I'm going to come back because if you have a job, be thankful you have a job. Think about how many people don't have a job. And then if you have the job and you want to keep the job, you do whatever it takes to get the job done. Don't worry about if it's somebody else's responsibility. Oh, that's not my responsibility. That's that's they're, that's they're supposed to be doing that. I don't think that way, and I wish everyone would not think that way. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And I, uh, as you're as you're talking about not being too big for your job or not being too good for uh, for the work that needs to be done, I think about uh, where Bruce Arians is right now. He's about to go to a Super Bowl, and he's got the you know the quarterback who's considered the goat. And who's gonna who's gonna tell? 
the greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady, what to do. Bruce Arians is, and he's going to say, look, you're not too big for this. Yeah. You know, this is, yep. you're, you're starting all brand new. Um, Absolutely. Yep. So I think it's that same kind of humility uh, that uh, <laughs> you had a crazy interview once you got to LA. Am I right? Yeah. So I, 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 I taught, before I taught at USF, I taught at USC for seven years from 97 to 2004. <laughs> <Took> <laughs> fight on, fight on Trojan. Um, <laughs> it's pretty ironic that I'm saying that because my wife's the coach, a coach at UCLA. So we out to re- repeat those three words ever at her presence. Um, but uh, <laughs> at USC for seven years and then took a year off when my wife and I had our twin daughters. And then I went back, uh, to, you know, year, two years later, um, to USF to teach. But, um, you know, I, I, I tell all the students this, this story because it's, it, it also is a good testament to you never know. You never know uh, what's going to happen. You might have a perception of something, but it might be completely wrong. So I flew out to this interview. I, um, for whatever reason, was a nervous wreck on the day of the interview. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in a new city. I was in a new place. It was huge. Like it made Charlotte look like Mayberry. Um, I was scared to death, even in the cab on the freeway. I thought we were going to die for sure <laughs> on the freeway. And, and so I, I got dressed in my nicest JC Penny white crisp shirt, you know, and for back then that's all I could afford. Um, uh, I didn't sleep well that night. I was so nervous for the interview for some reason. Um, I felt completely out of place in California being this boy from Mobile, Alabama, who, had, you know, then just gone to Charlotte. And then I'm in, you know, the second biggest city in the country and uh, just super nervous. So I wore this, um, you know, like some white starched dress shirt I got for $19 at JCPenney and some Kmart tie <laughs> back then. Uh, but it's all I could afford. Uh you know, one of the things I forgot to mention is when I worked for the Charlotte Hornets, even though I was lucky to have a job and it was great to work in a sports team, they literally paid me in peanuts. Um, I think I had enough money to pay my rent and buy a very small amount of groceries. And that's it back then. Um, I got what I could get. <laughs> and uh, but so I didn't sleep well. I had coffee that morning to try to make me a little bit more alert for the interview. And of course, I spilled it all over my shirt. Um I didn't have another white shirt, didn't have time to get another white shirt, so I tried to cover it up with my sport coat, but you could clearly see the coffee stain on my <laughs> shirt. And, and I got to the interview all nervous because I, I didn't look good, and I knew that you could see the stain, and I kept trying to pull my jacket over. I was very hot, so I started to sweat, and um, like Hugo the Hornet. And so <laughs> I remember sitting there, uh, continue to pull my jacket over to try to cover the stain with one hand, wiping the sweat away from my face with the other hand as I tried to focus and answer questions. And I don't even know if I spoke English because the questions they would ask me, I, I would say something. And in my head, I'm like, what, what, what did you just say? <laughs> uh, and, and I remember after 30, 35 minutes of this, I got the impression from them that they were like, Oh wow! What a waste of money, time to bring this buffoon in here. And um, I left there and went straight over to the forum and saw John. I said, "John, I'm so sorry. They're going to really be upset with you for recommending me because I could not have been worse. I, I it was bad. I mean, it was like something out of a bad movie." Um, you know, that's cool that you not only have your own embarrassment, but you're also concerned about the guy that recommended you, and you're just apologizing oh, to him. <laughs> Like, you never know. You never know. I'm like, no, 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 I know. Trust me. They look, they gave me looks like, like I had four heads and, uh, and like, what the heck is this? You know, I, I said, so I apologize. Thank you so much for recommending me. At least I got a trip out of this and, you know, it was good to see you. And at least I got to see LA. I go back to Charlotte. Don't even think about it. Not that even normally when you interview for a job, you're like, I wonder if I'm going to hear from them. I wonder if I'm going to get it. Oh, I didn't even think that way. I thought, oh yeah, I'm never hearing from them again. And then two weeks later, I got a call and they offered me the job and wanted to move me cross country to California. And I and I hung up the phone and I said to at my at that time, a girlfriend, these people are nuts. They literally <laughs> are crazy. 
I don't. I think they're confused. I think they must have be offering the job to somebody else they interviewed, and they've got it confused that they offered it to me. And um, and I called John, and he was like, "No, they loved you." I'm like, "What? How?" They said they thought you were authentic. They thought everybody else was putting on a show, and they thought you were real. And I went, "Oh, I was real, all right. I was a real mess." But um, well, but, you know, Alex and I are both natives of California, and uh, you know. People from other parts of the country refer to it as the land of fruits and nuts. And so <laughs> when you say uh, those people are nuts, like in part, you were right. Uh, the other part, the other thing that strikes me, too, is that, um, you know, I, I lived in L.A. for a little while and I uh, it's amazing how uh, I guess just fake so many people are because they're, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to make it big in the movie business, which is, you know, they're trying to pretend like they're other people and authenticity is so rare. And the fact that you brought that, uh, as pathetic as it sounds, you know, (laughs) with with the, with the coffee stain, uh, Alex, I think you, as a Colombian, you can talk about coffee stains, but also a little bit about that kind of authenticity. Absolutely. Colombians, Colombians specialize in coffee and coffee stains, and, uh, <laughs> authenticity. And, and really, you know, Webby, you, you brought up a couple of things that really resonate uh, with me. Uh, authenticity, uh, first of all, as a speaker and as a writer, um, you know, I often say that I want people to know that the message that I'm delivering is authentic and is very sincere in terms of uh, how I view the world. Uh, but go, also going back to, um, Corey, you mentioned this, the dignity of work. You know, I, I know that um, when Gordon and I have traveled around the country and have, um, uh, when he's assisted me with speaking engagements, you know, one of the things that he's done is to be able to help uh, put on my three prosthetics uh, that I wear. And it, it really is remarkable that, you know, somebody like Cord, who is accomplished himself and, you know, um, has, has done so much in life, um, you know, would never say, uh, well, hey, you know, you're on your own. Um, you know, he, he is willing to kind of, um, you know, move past his usual world to be able to assist me um, putting on my prosthetics. And, and the reason I bring that up is because, um, in terms of what you said, Steve, about um, people not uh, being, you know, kind of too far above certain responsibilities, uh, you do what you got to do to get the job done, and you do what you got to do to make sure that that whatever the job entails, uh, the things are done the way they need to. So obviously, I wouldn't be able to literally walk around or move around if I didn't have my prosthetics on. And it takes a partner to be able to help me, uh, whether, you know, it's been court on trips or whether it's been uh, caregivers that I have now uh, to be able to assist me uh, to do that. Uh, and so there's a very much a, a sacred spiritual view. And, you know, Webby, that I'm also a huge Phil Jackson fan. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Phil always talks about the journey and the sacredness of, of, of teamwork. You know, part of part of uh, kind of uh, humbling yourself is is to do that in order for the thing that needs to be done to get done yep i love it you know i uh alex you called me accomplished i'm not sure that's true but uh i do i do agree that uh one of the greatest honors of my life is being able to help you put your leg on which is (laughs) uh not dissimilar to the way steve describes uh dressing and undressing hugo the hornet yeah yeah that's true (laughs) It's very true. And, and, and just one final point on that. I mean, for for those of you, you know, for you and Steve, that might have been a humbling experience. Uh, but for Hugo and myself, it, it was an essential experience. I mean, we could not do what we needed to do, you know, in our life and in our day uh, were it not for you guys. So I hope, Steve, when people hear what you're saying about don't be too big to do this or that, that they also realize that it's not just about making yourself smaller per se, but it's also about truly assisting someone else. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then uh, appreciating like kind of where you are, because the, one of the reasons I call it an honor to help you put on your leg is to be, 
you know, not only the work associated with it, but just to be of service to somebody else. That's where you're Definitely. really fulfilling. Yeah. And then, and then there's appreciation that comes with that, right? Like I've got, I've got two legs and uh, I am, I am um, in those moments where I'm helping you with your leg, that I'm keenly aware of how blessed and lucky I am. Um, and again, those, those two words, right? Blessed and lucky are the same words that Steve used to describe his job yep. with the, yes. with the Charlotte Hornets. Okay. Uh, so we, so we moved on. So you got the job in LA. So now you're living the, living the life. Um, you, yeah. you know, uh, I like to tell people, cause I actually, when I first moved to LA, I lived in Beverly Hills. So <laughs> I tell people I loaded up the truck and moved to Beverly Hills. <laughs> <laughs> Swimming pools and movie stars. I really, I really hope our audience is old because all <laughs> these references, man. Yeah. So uh, people don't know what that is. They're like, what in the world is that? That's yeah. the that's the line from the Beverly Hillbillies from um, Black Gold, and, Texas yeah, Tea. So I, I moved to Beverly Hills and lived the dream right in the heart of uh, of this this crazy city of L.A. and and loved it. You know, I worked for the for the sports marketing company for a couple of years. Then I moved over to a TV production company, which kind of got me into television. Uh, which is still sort of, uh, I'm still tied to. Um, but in 1996 was sort of my, I kind of call my big break into uh, the studio world because I was hired uh, at Fox Sports to be the director of PR for the cable networks in Los Angeles. And um, and that really, you know, going to work for 20th Century Fox and and working on a studio and, and with that sort of massive... Um, brand behind it and, and and resources and finances and and staffing you know that's that was a, a big jump up for me and i loved it i loved working at fox sports uh you know i had a dream job for a i was gonna say a guy but that would be chauvinistic for a sports fan so let's call it for a sports uh man or woman uh i had credentials to every single team in town I went to every major sporting event, World Series, Super Bowl, NBA Finals. Wow. I, uh, you know, I traveled all the time to these sporting events. I spent a lot of time in New York City because my boss, who was the head of PR for all the Fox Sports, was based in New York. So it was literally a dream job. Um, we had season tickets to every single team in town, Dodgers, Angels, Lakers, Clippers, um, uh, Kings, Ducks. UCLA, USC. And funny enough, my boss <laughs> at the time wanted me to be in charge of the tickets. So I oversaw all the tickets for, for, that our Fox Sports had. And, you know, so everyone, I was the keeper of the, of the keys to the kingdom. So people would come to me. I need these <laughs> tickets. So, you know, it was, it was literally a, an incredible opportunity and job for me to get at basically, what, 20, 29 years old. Um, so I did that for five years. Then I moved over to uh, everything started changing with Fox and I, uh, for me to have to, to be promoted, um, which I didn't tell you guys this, but it's interesting for me to be promoted to VP at Fox sports. I was going to have to move to New York and I refuse. I, um, New York's a great city. Don't get me wrong. I love to visit there for seven days on the eighth day. I would, I would have a breakdown. <laughs> so, um, I, I just knew that that's not my personality. I knew I could not live in New York. That's not where I, what I wanted for my, future i didn't want to raise a family in new york um so i said no and i turned it down and and so that therefore i could see the writing on the wall for me to take the next step up in, in advancement in my career i needed to leave so i left fox and went to sony pictures for one year and then to universal television which i would say probably even though fox sports was my favorite job as a sports fan universal television was my favorite job as a professional i uh was the senior vp of pr and marketing for universal television group I oversaw nine different divisions, 91 employees. Half of them were in New York. Um, it, I loved, I loved that, that, that uh, elevation of responsibility. And I love the brands that we dealt with. Uh, I ran Emmy campaigns for a number of our um, programs on Sci-Fi Network and USA Network and uh, the Law and Order franchise, et cetera. So, uh, but in 2004, as all things happen in Hollywood, um, Vivendi, uh, which was a French company that owned Universal at the time, sold its shares to NBC. And NBC then formed what is now NBC Universal, um, Comcast NBC Universal. Uh, 
And I was on the 12th floor of the Black Tower at Universal Studios with all the executives, the, the president, the CEO, the COO, the CFO, the head of human resources, myself, the head of marketing and PR, the head of sales. Every single one of us got the ax um, because NBC didn't need us. They already had all those people in those positions. Um, so I uh, got laid off, but I had um, enough time left in my contract that it paid me out and allowed me to just sort of just relax uh, back in 2004 um, because my wife and I had just gotten married. As I mentioned, my wife is um, Stella Sampras, the head tennis coach at UCLA. She's been the head coach there for 25 years. Um, and we were in the, in the process of trying to have children. So uh, it just gave me some time to just sort of like take a breath. And, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. I thought I'd take some time off, maybe go back to another studio, maybe go to a TV production company. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I never in a million years dreamed about starting my own company. I was not an entrepreneur mindset. I didn't think that way. Um, I liked working for a place and having me, them tell me what to do so I could do it. <laughs> and uh, um, but I was a little bored. So my brother-in-law, uh, Pete Sampras, the tennis player, said, well, why don't you help me book some appearances and, um, and uh, you know, some exhibitions, et cetera. So I worked on that. Another buddy, Matt Escursion, who at the time was the play-by-play -play guy at the San Diego Padres, um, said, you know, why don't you do my PR? I need to, I want to raise my, my, my level of branding and, and uh, you know, my name. And then about a month after that, I get a call from a gentleman named Ben Silverman, who um, owns a, owned a production company called Reveille, uh, that was based at Universal. But in the process of the purchase, they lost their PR support and needed some help. So he asked me to come on board and help take on the PR responsibility for their shows, which, by the way, were The Office, Nashville Star, Biggest Loser, and Ugly Betty, just a few little shows. And, uh, and that's when I realized, okay, I can't do all this by myself. I, I, it's too much. So I hired uh, uh, a student of mine from USC. And as I said, I used to teach at USC and opened up a little office in El Segundo. I mean, 700 square feet, little two, two person office. Um, and then, but those were those uh, shows led to other things. And in fact, we did a show called bound for glory through Everly, which was a reality show with Dick Butkus, huh going back to his high school in Pennsylvania to be the head coach. It was a reality show. You probably never saw it or heard of it. Um, it was on ESPN. And that really sort of put CM, my company, CMPR, on the map because um, we had to work with the head of PR at ESPN. And after we finished the show with him, he called me and he said, I loved how you guys worked with us on this. I'd like to hire you for other things. And so that started an eight-year relationship with ESPN where we did the ESPY Awards. We did 30 for 30. We did college game day We did, for basketball and football. We did uh, a number of their um, specials. We became basically the West Coast PR agency for ESPN. That really fed us, put us into motion to where we are today, essentially. So. Geez, now you're really listing all my favorite shows. I mean, College Game Days is, is, and the 30 for 30s are totally my favorite shows. I mean, Ugly <laughs> Betty's not a bad show, but I mean, <laughs> when you talk College Game Day and 30 yeah. for 30, now, oh yeah, man. Yeah. It, it's amazing when you say that, uh, you know, your big break started in 96. Alex and I also had a, a big break in 96. That was the year that we graduated from the University of Notre Dame. Wow. But could you basically uh, tell me I'm much older than you, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of much older, uh, there's another kid that had a big break in 1996, and uh, we got a chance this week to celebrate his life. Uh, in 1996, Kobe Bryant was uh, graduating from Lower Marion High School in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. uh, did you get a chance to, to meet him that year? Yeah, so as soon as he was drafted uh, or traded, I should say, ironically – from the Charlotte Hornets. Mm. Um, wow. uh, yeah, which is kind of full circle. Yeah. Uh, to the Lakers, wow. um, uh, I, you know, was the head of PR at the cable networks that were going to be showing all of their games. And so I, I remember, you know, my boss, Kitty Cohen, telling me, listen, I need you to go down to the forum. We're going to do, we're going to be there for press day. And I want you to meet their rookie, Kobe Bryant. I want you to see if you can get him to do some stuff with us. We want to get him to do some spots and promo spots, et cetera. So be really nice. 
And I, I again, I remember that like it was yesterday. And so I remember going down, seeing this young kid that was just bright eyed and excited and eager and friendly, overly friendly to everybody. I mean, he was the nicest, one of the nicest kids I have ever met in professional sports. And he was like, yeah, man, whatever you need, whatever. Uh, he was always willing to do whatever we needed those, those first few years um, before he became Kobe Bryant. If you, um, and when you say bright eyed, I mean, it's such a cliche to say bright eyed and bushy tailed, but he really yeah. was, you know, at yeah. the time, like not sure he could play at this level, especially when you're yeah. 18. No, you're right. I, I think he always had that inner confidence, um, but he was young then. So it hadn't fully developed or matured to what it did. Um, and obviously we all got to see how it developed. I mean, it, it, he became one of the hardest working, um, most committed athletes I've seen in my lifetime. Um, and uh, I feel like that's what made him so special is that he always had that, but it was developing and maturing back then, but he still came out and had fun. He was having fun when he first started playing at the game. And then he became as driven as you can possibly be, which is obviously that Mamba mentality. Um, and so, you know, over the 20 years that um, 20, I guess, 23 plus years, actually 23 plus years that he was in, uh, in LA uh, you know, I interacted with him a lot. Um, you know, I, one of the things I forgot to mention to you years ago, I can't even remember the year now, 2012, 2013, 2014, one of those years, we worked uh, myself, Kathy Schlossman, who's the president of the LA Sports Entertainment Commission, and Beth Moskowitz, who uh, I'm good friends with, who uh, for years ran Cedar Sinai Sports Spectacular, worked on a concept with Kobe and his team on one on one with Kobe. Um, and uh, we had Jimmy Kimmel as the host, we did it at the Microsoft Theater. And so we got to work on that project with him. And then, as I mentioned to you, um, in the last year of his life, um, in 2019, in March of 2019, uh, one of the events that we've worked on for years, the Lakers All Access event at Staples Center. It's a private event for Lakers boosters and sponsors. Kobe was our premier guest. And so I got to work with him. And I, and I, I, I love to tell the story. So Kobe also loved tennis. I don't know if people know that, but Kobe loved to play tennis. He was a very good tennis player and he also loved the sport. And so, you know, he would go to Indian Wells and he was very good friends with Novak Djokovic. Um, and, uh, and he knew who my brother-in-law was and he knew that my daughters played tennis because his daughter Gianna was the same age. And, you know, I hadn't seen him maybe in a year since we, before we did that event. Um, and when I saw him, you know, again, this just kind of shows you the kind of person he is. You know, he didn't come in as Kobe Bryant, who had retired and won five national, five world championships. And I'm Kobe Bryant. Please exit the exit my path because you're you're not worthy of me. Um, he said to me, "What's up, Webby? Uh, good seeing you, man. How are those girls? They tearing it up on the tennis court." <laughs> and it just m meant the whole world to me that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I'm sorry. that he remembered that my girls played tennis and yeah. that um, he asked about that. It just meant a lot to me. Um, and uh, it just kind of shows you the character he had and what kind of a person he was. You know, and the, the memory, uh, the, you know, the way that you set it up in terms of it meant the world to you when he remembered you, uh, here it is. Uh, we are one year uh, past that uh, infamous uh, helicopter crash when he died. Uh, and now it's we who remember him. Um, do you remember where you were when you found out about the crash? Yeah. <laughs> Ironically, I was at my daughter's tennis tournament in Cerritos. And... Um, watching the girls play, play a tournament. And, and it was, and I remember driving to the tournament early that morning. We had to be there at like seven, seven thirty, and it was super foggy, you know, to drive from the South Bay to Cerritos on the one Oh five and then to change over to the six Oh five. I remember how foggy it was. You couldn't even see in front of you. 
And uh, and then we got to the tennis, and I didn't even know if the girls could even play because it was so foggy. But it slowly kind of like lifted a little bit, and they were able to play. I think we had a fog delay though. Um, and uh, and I remember hearing it, and I thought that's this can't be true. It's just that's 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 yeah. fake news. <laughs> the the shock and the denial, yeah. you know. Because what happened is I heard it. People were saying, "Have you heard?" And I went on. ESPN.com and I went on Twitter and I didn't see anything and I thought okay no it's not true because this, it would already be reported mm-hmm. right and then I went on CNN and I went on every news thing LA Times and I, I didn't see anything and I thought I kept telling people four or five people had said it to me and I'm like where are you seeing this because it's nowhere and, and they said it's on TMZ I'm like okay okay TMZ yeah please I'm not gonna I'm not yeah. gonna believe that that's right and um and then once I kept looking and I saw it breaking news on ESPN that I knew it was real. And at the time it was just him, you know, they didn't say who else was with him. So I didn't know about Gianna. Um, uh, but even that just, it was like a punch to the gut. I'd just done that event with him, what, six, seven months before and, and seen him. And I, I, I just, I couldn't even, I couldn't even feel anything. I was numb. And then as time went on, the girls were playing their tournament. And I heard you, you heard more that that Gianna was on there, uh, and that she was the same age as my girls. That that was it. I lost it. I I um, became very emotional. You know, I I know that my wife and my girls, you know, didn't know what was going on, and and uh, it was a really really rough day. It's you know it's amazing how uh, I mean we're all kind of interconnected in different ways and um, you hear the news about Kobe and his daughter and it, you know he he would say too that one of his uh, being a father is the greatest thing you know that ever happened to him greater than five championships uh, and th- and that you've got the connection with a daughter who's the exact same mm-hmm. age. And that's where you are when you hear the news. And that's the last thing that he said to yeah. you was something about your daughter yeah. and playing tennis. Yeah. yeah. So it was, uh, it's, uh, it's ironic and painful. And, um, you know, I love, I love though that I feel like overall 90% of everyone has been very respectful of them and their family and, um, you know, my heart goes out to, you know, his wife and her mom and their sisters, uh, just because I just can't, I can't even, I can't even fathom it. I really can't. I, I, uh, <laughs> I, as I, as I, as the time went on, I started thinking about what would, what would I do? I, I would probably just jump off a building. I, I don't know what I would do, you know? So, well, there's a, there's a legacy that's left behind. And, uh, and Steve, you used the phrase Mamba mentality earlier. Uh, and I know, Alex, the Mamba mentality is something that, uh, that you use on a daily basis. Uh, tell me a little bit about the Mamba mentality, what Certainly. that means. Uh, so one of my favorite uh, face coverings that I've been wearing during this time of pandemic has actually been a Kobe Bryant uh, mask uh, that... Uh, that, uh, that I got. Um, and the reason that I wear that is because it reminds me of the Mamba mentality. Now, Cord, I know that you've done some training with clients up at the uh, Mamba facility uh, up in LA, um, and, and you've seen it up close. Um, I'm a lifelong Lakers fan. Uh, I was ecstatic when um, the Charlotte Hornets gave us both uh, Steve Webster and Kobe Bryant. So shout out to the Hornets for that. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I, I was one of those that certainly went along on the journey of seeing Kobe evolve. Uh, and Steve, Steve nailed it right on the head of, of being someone that went from just kind of a youthful exuberance of, of kid in the candy store being in the NBA to realizing I have a real purpose here that I can leave a legacy and influence people uh, in how I play for me, the Mamba mentality that he would so often speak of uh, is very much correlated to my journey as somebody with a disability. It's about overcoming adversity. It's about overcoming challenges and not letting any sort of excuse get in the way. Uh, you know, Kobe was notorious for wanting the ball during crunch time, uh, and that was developed through missing a series of air balls uh, in the playoffs in his rookie year. 
And instead of letting all the criticism and all the doubts scare him off, he said, no, I'm going to make this make me stronger. And I want the ball in crunch time, uh, which is funny. Yeah, it was game game five of his rookie year. And uh, he delivered four consecutive air balls to end the game. And he says that he just went into the gym the next day and just shot baskets all day. Didn't sleep, didn't eat, just Out. shot baskets all day. Yeah. Um, there's the dedication. And, and you and I have a, a Notre Dame connection through that in that Erica Gumbawale of the Notre Dame women's basketball team uh, uh, shot two. She, she sank two buzzer beaters in the 2018 Final Four. Um, and when people were asking her, how the heck do you have such such ice in your veins? She said, I have the mama mentality. And that impressed Kobe so much that he went to meet her uh, to to really, you know, say, finally, I, I, I see someone that, that gets it. So for me, the mama mentality is all about overcoming adversity, overcoming challenges, but really having that passion to drive and succeed no matter what and viewing all of it, adversity, challenges, crunch time, as opportunity to be the best you. Well, you know, it's determination, it's perseverance. Um, and it's, uh, you know, Steve, you talked about how, uh, you know, obviously when you're 18, your body's still growing, but you were talking about how his mentality was still growing to, so that he eventually became, quote unquote, Kobe Bryant. Yeah, and that's what I, I noticed most is that I never, when I first met him and we started working with him, I didn't think, oh, this is going to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. I thought, oh, he, I thought right, he's going to be right. really good. He's really good. He's, like, really athletic. And, but he was, like, at that time, he was, like, skinny and, and, and not as developed. You know what I mean? I, I, um, I thought he was going to yeah. be really good, but I never in a million years dreamed he was going to be what he was. Um, but but as, as time went on, every year went on, even, like, the first couple of years, you could see, wait a minute, wait a minute. This kid is something special, and and uh, and yeah. and then as a huge Laker fan, Laker season ticket holder, to be able to experience, um, you know, those games and those championships, I I just can't yeah. even I can't yeah. even I can't even express how uh, exciting it was being there in person and how again going back to lucky and blessed, how lucky and blessed I was to be able to be there in right. person, you know, to be able to be there, you know, at, at uh, you know, at game seven against Portland when, when, when uh, they came back and, and got that win to be able to go to the finals. I mean, those are some of the most amazing memories I'll have from my life and be able to see him compete so much and watch him play like I, like I was able to, you know, that's, that's like, that's like literally like I, I definitely won the lottery during those years and being able to be there and watch that. You know, where uh, it's determination, it's perseverance. And uh, I think that the theme that keeps coming up is we all recognize that we are blessed and lucky. And uh, um, I think that uh, hopefully our listeners have a, a, a good uh, taste of that as well, where they're able to recognize how, how they are blessed and lucky. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and I don't want to, I, I don't want to be thought. too melancholy here right now, but you know, I didn't get to say much about Alex, um, but Alex is just a phenomenal individual. I have such respect for him. You know, I remember walking into the class uh, that, that, that first night that I was going to be teaching, and I saw Alex, and I, and I you know, and, and to my, in my mind, um, you know, as, as the teacher slash professor, you know, I already have the mindset of wanting to treat everyone, no matter color, race, anything the same uh i think that's super important uh it was the way i was raised it was the way um i was brought up to to be respectful to everyone there's no one to not be respectful to and and so i remember being that way but it's in the back of my mind thinking wow what 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 an incredible guy to be able to come and get his masters and with the challenges that he he has but you would have never known it was a challenge. That's what blew me away about Alex. I, I didn't see him make excuses. He didn't struggle. I mean, I was blown away at some of the stuff that he had, he had learned how to do, you know, with his prosthetics. And, 
And, and then I was also blown away of how friendly and outgoing it was and how everyone in the class, everyone in that cohort loved him. Um, and, uh, and I will say, you know, I've kept in touch with some of the people from teaching at USF, but not a lot, but he's one of them. And I, I, I just respect the heck out of him. I think it's an amazing story. I love how he's persevered and how he's, he's pressed forward and the, starting the foundation and writing books and everything. You know, I just wish he was an Alabama fan because he would know what winning's all about. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, wow, did you that set up that dagger. <laughs> that is Kobe Dagger. Oh, Thank you sincerely. Well, you can, you can uh, check out all those books at a-motivational.com. You can also book Alex for a speaking engagement. Uh, you can visit the foundation at alexmontoya.org. Alex, you got a final Absolutely. thought. So this week is very emotional for me because it's both the anniversary of Kobe passing, uh, but also um, my mom's heavenly birthday. Uh, she would have been uh, 78 years old on uh, January 30th. And so for me, I really want to encourage everyone to embrace what I call the mama mentality and the mamba mentality, which uh, there's intersection with both. Uh, and again, it's all about realizing uh, how lucky and blessed you are, focusing on what you have, not on what you're missing, but, but kicking, kicking that extra gear in when it comes to overcoming adversity and really attacking life with a passion. Um, no excuses, no setbacks, and making sure that you live the best life that you can live with passion and purpose. We want to say uh, thank you to our special guest, Steve Webster, the legend, and, uh, and uh, especially thanks to Alex Montoya. Don't forget, uh, focus on what you have, not on what you're missing. And let's uh, always remember to maintain that mama mentality. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Good job, guys. Great. Thank you. Sorry, Alex, I had to drop that bomb on you at the end, but I just felt like if I, was getting, I was getting a little bit too sappy. I had to bring it back home. You know, that, that wasn't so much of a, of a dagger. It was more like a Jordan dunk. Like, I, I, I am now the guy in the poster. Yeah, exactly. Dude, Steve, you, you, you ran the gamut on that. That was awesome. The way, I mean – you got you got yeah. emotional on Kobe. You yeah. got sentimental on yeah. Alex, and uh, we, I mean, we Literally. laughed, we all cried. All that was really well done. That. Yeah, thank you so much for of joining course, us. Of course, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, let me know when it's going to run. I'm gonna. We'll, we'll probably we'll pro- help promote it on our social and send it out. Uh, uh, you know, to a lot of folks to be able to listen to. Oh, so. that's fantastic. Sweet. That sounds great. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Okay, we'll see you. All right. Thank you. All right. See you as well. All right. Bye-bye sounds now. good. Bye bye.